Welcome to Wall Street Weekly, a show where your hosts, George and Patrick, cut through the financial jargon to keep you educated and informed about the markets that affect our lives. Enjoy the show. You heard the intro right. This is Wall Street Weekly on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. This is our pilot episode, Patrick, our very first pilot. And I should introduce us. My name is George Akala alongside Patrick Scott. We're both your hosts this week, Patrick. Hello, hello. How's it going? It is going well. And before we get too far into things, we are required to say that Wall Street Weekly is for general information purposes only and does not constitute accounting, legal, tax, or other professional advice. Listeners should not act upon any content or information found here without first seeking appropriate advice from an accountant, financial planner, lawyer, or other professional. I'm going to be honest, Patrick, we're just a couple college students kicking it. We're, we don't really know what we're talking about. We're just calling things how we see it. So don't make investment decisions based on us. And we'll try to not uh, talk about specific stocks necessarily or make any buy or sell recommendations. Right. But what, why don't you tell them what the purpose of the show is? Yeah. So basically for this show, we just want to help you just understand a little bit more about the investing world and the world of the of markets so that you can feel comfortable on your own to venture into these types of things uh, by yourself. Um, obviously, you're going to do want to do some more research along with this, um, but we, we want to just cut through all the financial jargon so we can simplify it as much as we can because there's a big learning curve with the, this type of thing. So we just want to simplify it and make it easy on your ears. Yeah, I couldn't have put it better myself. And the mission of our show is you listen to a lot of radio shows for investing and you either got people who are stock picking saying buy company XYZ and that's not helpful that doesn't teach you anything that actually teaches you to rely on people who probably don't know what they're talking about or you got other shows that use words that you probably quite frankly don't understand and Patrick here is a history major that's right so lest this show gets too financial or uppity he's not going to understand either He's going to yell at me to stop and, and shoot me a dirty look. I'll make sure to call you out for that. So w- the goal is just to make this as accessible as possible. Um, and so you guys know that anyone anyone can invest. It's kind of cliche. But without further ado, let's get into the show. And before I, I say that, normally our show is going to consist of what, Patrick? Yeah, so basically we'll come at you each week with um, a cur- current event story or a few. Basically just highlighting what you're seeing in the news and how it affects the industries, the economy, and the businesses uh, that you're seeing. Um, and then those are going to be the developing stories. So we, we won't have the whole story um, figured out, but we just want to explain how things are moving. And then we're also going to um, bring a more of a fixed story, something that, that's already happened, like something like the Great Depression uh, that has a start and a beginning, or excuse me, beginning and an ending that we can tell you about. Um, so we're, we're just going to bring you one of those each time. And we're also going to introduce you to some uh, famous investors as well and give you some of their advice. And I'm glad you said that because today we've got a great investor that we're going to be talking about, Warren Buffett. And as, if you, as you'll notice, this episode is going to be slightly different than our normal episode. We're going to let Warren Buffett speak for himself. So he has a lot of great quotes and we're just going to take those uh, digest some of those. I think that's the best way to learn. In addition, our current event story today is going to be talking about his biggest holding, and that would be Apple. So without further ado, let's get into that. On February 3rd, as you might know, Patrick, Apple released their first quarter earnings, and it was not good as far as just the financial statements go. And I know why you're looking at me weird right now. 
is quarter one. Isn't that supposed to be January to March? Right. It is a little confusing, but I'm just going to ask you a question. When do you think Apple has their busiest season? What do you think they make the most profit, most earnings? I'm going to guess the Christmas season. You are absolutely right. Yeah, the Christmas season, it actually doubles every other quarter, the the quarter from October to December, the new product launch uh, coming in October. So what they've decided to do is have a quarter or have a year that starts October 1st and ends September 30th. And the flexibility that gives them is they can prepare reports, they can launch products for quarter one while not having to worry about uh, filing year-end reports or the things that come, not having to file year-end reports at a time when sales are high and a lot of stress are on different departments because of that. But let's get back into their earnings uh, now that we've discussed this. So quarter one is always the strongest for Apple, like we mentioned. But this year was their first quarter over quarter decline since four years ago, and that would be 2019. And you're probably wondering, okay, you just said that quarter one is their best quarter. Yeah. How is there a quarter over quarter decline if we're talking about first quarter? What this is saying is the Christmas season was actually better in 2021 and it was than it was in 2022. And it was actually their worst earnings miss which is they underperformed analyst expectations in the last 26 quarters. So being the smart investor that you are, Patrick, what do you think happened to their stock price, given all these quantitative uh, restrictive things and not not as good of expected earnings? Uh, my common sense tells me it went down. Yeah, and you would actually be completely wrong because the share price skyrocketed. It was a 7% increase after the earnings call. And this was to the qualitative factors, um, not in the numbers, but what was actually said by management at that or, or on that earnings call. What they noticed was there was a 10% increase in year-over-year active users. So now there's 2 billion active Apple devices. I know you and me do our best to, to make that number at least two more. Um, it's, it's not saying that there's 2 billion people in the world with devices, but 2 billion active devices. And that's huge because each of those devices, they could theoretically monetize with iCloud storage, Apple Music, and all mm-hmm. the other things that come with you know people downloading apps on the App Store, that sort of thing. Right. In addition, the COVID lockdowns at production facilities in China, those are pretty much behind Apple at this point. China has shown a commitment, at least in a few months, that they're going to open up, allow production to open up and reduce COVID restrictions. Now, with Apple's announcement, too, that happened on February 3rd. This Tuesday, which, as I look at my calendar, would have been the 7th of February, Jerome Powell came out with comments, and it seems like we hear from him, Mr. Powell, a lot. And he talked about inflation and how it might not be going away as quick as we would hope. He said the process of lowering inflation to the Fed's goal of 2%, quote, is likely to take a bit of time. It's not going to be, we don't think, smooth. He also continued, it's probably going to be bumpy. So when the guy in charge of the monetary supply is saying it's going to be bumpy, that probably means that this nagging inflation is going to be here to stay for a little while. Yeah. He said the expectation that it will go away quickly and painlessly is not the base case. He added, the base case for me is that we'll have to do more rate increases and we'll have to look around and see whether we've done enough. Basically, what this is saying is the Fed doesn't really know what they're doing 100%. It's just a lot of trial and error. Because this is unforeseen circumstances, like no one has dealt with this type of recession before. And you're thinking to yourself, why is inflation bad? And the big thing for business is profitability, revenue, 
expenses are really people don't know what they're going to look like. And because of that, there's a reduced investment in the economy, which for investors, for long-term investment investors, that is not a good thing. Yeah. Um, so what they're hoping is by raising rates, they can reduce uh, the velocity of money in the economy, how fast money is going around, as well as the monetary base and decrease demand, a little decrease investment. Unfortunately, if they do this too quickly, that could actually tip us into a recession. Um, on a brighter note, let's talk about Warren Buffett, the greatest investor of all time. And honestly, one of my favorite people, just because of his humbleness and um, his sustained, su sustained success, really since his teenage years. So I'll, I'll turn it over to Patrick for this one. Yes, yeah, so let's go to Warren Buffett. So Warren Buffett was built on Benjamin Graham's value principles. Benjamin Graham, I guess, George, you would say he was kind of like the first big American investor. I think that's fair to say there were other investors who invested in their own companies. But as far as other companies, yeah. So he wrote a book called The Intelligent Investor, and that was Warren Buffett's uh, favorite uh, book growing up. So, yeah, this val this idea of value investing that Benjamin Graham came up with. George, can you explain this idea a little bit? With value investing, the idea is you're not investing in companies likely that you've been seen in the news every day. You're investing in companies that have been stable for a period of time. And even if their earnings drop significantly, the company is still going to be able to pay a dividend. And if they had to sell all their assets, you're probably still going to get a majority of what you invested. And Benjamin Graham would even say that you want to get more than what you invested if they had to auction off everything that they owned. Right. So... Warren Buffett continued um, his education at Columbia Business School, and that's where Ben Graham taught. So Graham was impressed with Buffett, really impressed. And he became sort of a mentor figure and eventually an employer of Buffett. Later on, uh, Warren Buffett teamed up with Charlie Munger to start an investing firm, and they acquired Berkshire Hathaway, which was originally a textile manufacturer. So to this day, Buffett admits that it was actually his worst acquisition ever, and it proves why you should never really make an emotionally motivated investment to do something like getting a revenge on people. So to continue with this story, this is how it happened. So basically, he had bought shares of Berkshire Hathaway, and the C uh, CEO, of Berkshire, Seabury Stanton, offered to buy them back for eleven and a half dollars. But when he presented the paperwork, he changed it to eleven and three eighths dollars. So an angry Buffett decided that was no good for him. He bought a majority majority stake in the company so he could fire Stanton, and he did. Yeah, it's funny because he talks about Deep in his heart, he knew the New England textile industry was failing. Even though the companies were cheap, South American companies, I believe, and we were getting more to the Eastern Asian com companies, were able to produce textiles much, much cheaper due to the labor costs being so cheap. But yet he still was angry that someone would try to double-cross him and really wanted to fire this guy, apparently. Yeah, so le now let's move on to more of Buffett's investing philosophy. It's been a little bit different than his mentor, uh, Ben Graham's, because of the change of times. Obviously, Ben Graham was dealing with some different stuff, um, such as the Great Depression and World War II, huge economic factors. So Buffett uh, says he's willing to pay elevated ratios at times with growth companies, um, as mentioned earlier with Apple. So, George, do you want to explain this a little bit? Yeah, so in the Great Depression, World War II era, there wasn't great stock screeners. You couldn't just go online and say, find me undervalued companies with which, with which Google 
you now have the ability to do. And because of this, he was able to find deep discounts of companies. We said if you auctioned off all your assets, you want to find something where you can at least get close to your money back. Benjamin Graham was actually able to find companies where he could double or triple his mo money even during a fire sale. And that's no longer the case. So Warren Buffett also puts some more emphasis on economic moat. So uh, I'm not exactly sure here what a moat is. George, you want one as well? Well, you're the history major. I think you should know what a moat is. Well, um, in history, I guess I'll pr provide a bit of context, at least from the name. A moat is like the basically a little uh, a bed of water that goes around the castle that uh, keeps keeps enemies away from your walls. And that's literally the same thing it is with investing. It gets thrown around a lot. Not literally water that goes around a castle, obviously. <laughs> but for a company like Apple, me and Patrick, we could spend probably hundreds of millions of dollars and never come close to the Apple iPhone. That's their moat. That to break into that industry, you would need to spend tens upon tens of billions of dollars to have a product that even comes close. Whereas companies with no moats, think of the well drilling industry for oil. Yeah, there is some moat, but I can imagine that me and Patrick with five or $10 million, if we lived on an oil field, we could probably break into that commodity based industry. So now I think we'll, with that, we'll head on over to our quotes segment from Warren Buffett. And he's got a lot of great quotes here. So uh, we'll take our time with this one and enjoy it. Now, if we want to transi transition over into some of uh, Buffett's key pieces of advice that have helped people for years, um, including some that have helped George and I as well. So uh, the first one we're going to bring to you is never invest in a business that you cannot understand. So obviously this one is is pretty big because let's say you you've, you own stock in a business and there is some big um, news article that comes out and you don't know how it affects your business or the industry because you don't know how your how the uh, the business that you own works or the share that you own. So if you don't understand um, the the relevant pieces of information that are in that article and how they affect the stock price of your share, then you're not going to be able to make accurate predictions of what's going to happen and if you're going to make or lose money. Yeah, and a lot of the, the companies over time that you've seen, maybe the Ponzi schemes or maybe the pump and dump schemes, it's because people don't understand what they're investing in. One that comes to mind and it's fresh in people's mind is the FTX scandal. And I know there's a lot of other factors at play in that one, don't get me wrong. But I think a key thing there is people didn't understand what the digitally issued coin FTC coin uh, issued by FTX, what that actually meant, what that actually represented. Not saying that crypto in general is bad, we can't make, can't make really comments on that on this show. But at the end of the day, you need to understand what you own. That's the most important thing. You wouldn't buy a piece of land if you didn't know if it was in the desert or if it was farmland. Why would you do the same with investing? Of course, that's a good point. So on our next one, uh, our next quote from Warren Buffett, he says, whether we're talking about socks or stocks, I like buying quality merchandise when it is marked down. George, you want to take this one? Yeah, you don't want to buy anything full price. Obviously. You want to buy something with appreciation potential. And I just think that's a natural impulse of human beings. But yet, we'll go... I don't know about you. I've gone out of my way to save $10. I've probably gone like two hours out of my way. Just because I can save $10 on a, on a laptop or a, a pair of Nikes or something. Yeah. But a lot of people, they hear something on the radio. They read something in a book. And they'll put $10,000 in the stock market on a random stock. Mm -hmm. It goes back to the research component. You want to find a bargain, and I think that requires some due diligence. Yeah, I suppose if you're absolutely brand new to investing, your first instinct might be to 
just throw all of your money into the most successful companies like Apple, Microsoft, uh, Berkshire Hathaway, I suppose, <laughs> all of those things. But obviously, it's it's not such a smart move to just um, throw your money into companies that are already doing well. So their stock price is already already really high. So it goes back to the principle, buy low, sell high. Yeah, absolutely. So for our next one, uh, Warren Buffett says, we don't have to be smarter than the rest. We have to be more disciplined than the rest. So obviously this is going to be kind of relevant for me. I'm definitely not smarter than the rest when it comes to investing, or at least not yet. I, I just have to know when, uh, just be vigilant of, of when I can, of when it's a good time to put some money into the market and when it's a good time to remove it. Yeah. And I think that goes to his value investing strategy. It's the type of strategy that over time has shown that it's worked, but it might not work for five years in a row. It might not work for a decade in a row. Over time, it'll produce results, but you've got to be willing and disciplined. And I tell you what, when you're looking at your portfolio and you work a couple weeks of work and you put $1,000 in the stock market and you see that become $900 one day and $800 the next day. That's really hard. The natural human instinct, I believe, is you're going to take your money out of the market when it goes down, and it's really hard to stay disciplined, but often that's the worst time to do so. Um, so it requires, like Buffett says, that discipline. Yeah, so for our next quote is one that uh, personally I don't, I don't totally myself understand, so I might have to get your advice more a little bit on this one, George. Warren Buffett says, we can afford to lose money, but we cannot afford to lose one shred of our reputation. Berkshire Hathaway is an investment firm, and if they lose money, there are plenty of investment firms. You go on the internet, hedge funds that have lost money for the last three years in a row, and they still have tens of billions of dollars of assets. What you won't see is companies where the CEO has been accused of mishandling consumers' money. People get scared. They pull out, especially within this industry. People get scared. And yes, you can lose money, but if you can instill confidence in people, you're probably still going to get investments. But Berkshire Hathaway, if they ever call into question whether Buffett is stealing, embezzling, you know, there's a variety of things that can happen. That's the company. Buffett is Berkshire Hathaway. Right. Yeah. So for our next one, this one I really like because it's got, seems like it's got a whole lot of hidden meaning. So I'll try to take a crack at it. Buffett says, predicting rain doesn't count. Building an arc does. So what I personally think this means, or at least at, at a first glance, I think predicting rain means you're going to try to you know, anticipate when the next recession or uh, the next bear market's going to come around. Bear market meaning it's everything's going to go up. Bear market meaning everything's going to go down in a bear market. Bull market, everything's going to go up. I know what you meant. Yeah. So, yeah. So you don't, obviously, you don't want to rely on your own anticipation of how the whole economy and also how, how your individual stock is going to work out. So he says build an arc, which is a great analogy, I think. And obviously, you just want to be able to, I, I suppose, build um, like a, a, a historical mo one might say, um, as we, as we talked about earlier. And I actually saw this quote slightly differently than Patrick. And I think both ways are actually very valid. Predicting rain doesn't count. I, I think that is, is if you see a change in the market, but you don't do anything, it's useless. But if you build an arc, if you're willing to say, I think something is coming down the line and I'm going to make investment decisions based on that. That would be building an arc, uh, for lack of a better word, putting your money where your mouth is. And to be clear, this isn't saying, wow, Tesla's going to come out with a new car. I'm going to put my life savings and take out a reverse mortgage so I can put all my money in that. But what it's saying is, 
you can be you can still be safe with your money but if you if you have an information edge over another person why not use it yeah that's a good point so next uh, buffett says buy stock in businesses that are so wonderful that an idiot can run them because sooner or later one will i think you can say a lot about that and if you look at businesses that have survived 100 years or 150 years or even less than that you can point to management that was incompetent, made bad decisions, and in many cases almost sunk the company. But if you have a structure in place that, like Buffett says, even an idiot can run, I think that's a good thing. And again, it's the valuation metric. If a company is traded very cheaply, there's less room to run it into the ground. There's less, even a dumb CEO can probably run that company decently well. But yet if the projections are that the company is going to grow 40% a year, there's a lot of room there to do less than that. And you need a great CEO to achieve results like that. Yeah, but I think it adds at the same time that you don't have to sell a stock because a terrible and an incompetent manager took over a great business that you own. And for our final quote, we're going to say, uh, excuse me, Buffett says, be fearful when others are greedy. Be greedy when others are fearful. It's easy in a low market to be, it's easy to say this when the market's going up. It's easy to say, oh, I'm going to be greedy when others are fearful. But I can tell you in 2020, when we didn't know what COVID was doing, looking back on it, it's easy to say you should have bought at the at the low of the pandemic. Yeah. But we didn't really know. No one knew what the market was going to do. No one knew what this COVID thing was. It requires a lot of discipline, which we keep going back to. And a willingness to take some risk. Yeah, it's it's going to be less risky if asset prices are deflated, but you're going to have to take a leap at some point. Yeah, I think that's great advice. And I think we might be uh, running out of time here. It's, it's been a great first episode. Uh, George, can we close out? I think we can close out the show. Yeah, thanks for listening to Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. We hope you'll join us next week on Wall Street Weekly as we discuss the tech bubble and the efficient market hypothesis. So tune back in.